like to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hey, Super Sleuths, I'm Kelly. And I'm Karen, and welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast for amateur sleuths. So this week, Kelly is covering the double mystery of where in the H-E-double hockey sticks is Josiah Crowley's will. Also, who stole Edna's silver candlesticks? That's the true mystery. It is. We have taken all of this research from these cases from the very well-researched document Nancy Drew and the Secret of the Old Clock by Carolyn Keene. Before we get started, Karen, I thought maybe our one listener, hi, mom, um, (laughs) would really like to get to know us a little bit better. So um, I thought we could start off with four rapid fire questions for each other. Very little thinking off the top of your head. And, you know, then mom can really get to know us on a deep and personal level. All right. I'm I'm, I'm anxious, but I'm in. Same. So thank you for going along with this. I really appreciate your improv yes and style. It means a lot to me. <laughs> so you want to go first or should I go first? Uh, you ask me first so I can right. I can get my anxiety out of the way. All right. You ready? Yep. This is not a drill. Karen, who's your favorite sister? Oh my God. Kelly, you are, obviously. Who else could it be? That is the correct answer. You have Kelly. moved on to the next round. Kelly. Yes, what? What was your first CD? Oh, we're going back and forth. I see. Um, <laughs> Celine Dion. <laughs> I'm not proud, but I mean, you know, I thought she's it was Celine. She's I amazing. thought it was Yanni Live at the Acropolis. I always believed that no, that was your first no, CD. No, I think that was Mom's first CD, though. Okay, all right. I, I hate to call her out, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. What are your pets' names and why? Oh, I have two pets. I have a pet cat named Rory, and I have a pet cat named. Fiona Apple, the greatest singer and songwriter of all time. Fantastic. And why do they have those names? Rory has his name because we liked it. And that was pretty much it. Fiona Apple, because we had a dream of having two cats named Fiona Apple and Tori Amos and calling them Apple and Amos. Amazing. I I don't know. I don't know. But it's turned out that we never call her Fiona Apple. Her name is just Fifi. So that was an unexpected. Rory, I just always assumed that Rory was because of Gilmore Girls. But I I guess that wouldn't make sense because Rory's a boy. So you're Rory's a boy. It's not unrelated. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better that I'm not totally off the mark. So what's your also that was that was a compound question. I just want you to know that was not two. Well, I have a compound question because I would like to know also what your pet's name is and why. And then also, what is your pet peeve? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's two separate questions. That's three questions. Yes and Kelly. Yes and fair. Okay. So I have a cat. His name is Ollie, which is short for Ollivander from Harry Potter. And, mm -hmm, And my biggest pet peeve, it's Everything for me, pet peeve wise, is audio related. So, like loud chewing and like just it's it's all audio related for me. I didn't know that about you. Yeah, what's your favorite Bronte sister? Who who's your favorite Bronte sister? Oof, I 
<laughs> there is a, a right answer. This is a very touchy subject. I it do should not, be. I do not like literature from that era. That's not what I asked. <laughs> None of them. <laughs> <laughs> None of them. Not a fan. Um, that feels like, wow, a whole nother podcast to me. Like did in I just, defense of the Brontes or something like that. We'll, did my, uh, my English major just get retracted? <laughs> I think it did. <laughs> um, if I you think could, it did. If you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would you eat and why? Pizza, period. Easy answer. <laughs> because I'm still essentially a college kid. Like That's- if I could wear a hoodie and jeans and eat pizza every day for the rest of my life, I would. I just fear that the rest of my life would be like short if I did that. So um, it's a it's a pandemic. You can do whatever you want right now. I am and I'm I I don't know how I'm gonna return to civilized society after this. Same. Same. What's your HBO Go password? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's, um, it's the same as yours because we're sharing an account. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um that wasn't my question. I'm kidding. Um mountains or ocean and you can't see both. That's hard for a Seattleite. That's really hard. I'm oh, I gonna know. Say, Com- coming from this landlocked Ohio, and I have no sympathy. Mountains. Okay, well, the ocean rejects you. But yes, that was hard. Mm-hmm. That's um, my four. I've got one more for you. All right. What's the weirdest thing that happened to you this week? Oh, that's a. Oh, that's hard. Given that I've barely left my house this week, it's going <laughs> to be a fairly short list. But. I I learned something this morning that I legitimately had no idea was a thing that ever happened. I was hearing this like weird noise outside and I look outside and there's a guy was it what? Was it a clue? <laughs> it was a clue. Um it was a guy who was like buffing his sidewalks with like a big washer buffer type thing. Like it looked like something that you would buff your hardwood floors with, but he was like cleaning the sidewalks outside oh. of his home. Oh. I didn't know that was a thing. I was like, I, I thought sidewalks were self-cleaning. <laughs> I don't think I thought that, but I am with you that I didn't know that that existed. Well, I mean, like, in that they're outside, like, they get naturally, like, just in the same way that I would never think, like, I should go up and, like, clean my roof because you, it's in direct line of water on a semi-regular basis. Like, I kind of thought the same thing about sidewalks, I think. But here's this guy out there, like, for hours, like, meticulously cleaning his concrete sidewalk (laughs) we've been falling down on the job (laughs) i know i feel like a terrible homeowner i was like i'm never gonna do that no absolutely not (laughs) no all right yeah well Well, good talk good talk uh should we should we dive into the real mysteries of the week probably probably that's what the people are here for it's what the people are here for so listen i will ask again mom Please bear with. First real episode. Kind of nervous. Whatever. Here we go. We are delving into book one of the Nancy Drew series, Nancy Drew and the Secret of the Old Clock. Mm-hmm. And just so we're all on the same page, this was originally published in 1930, which, Karen, I think you will attest to, becomes extremely obvious over the course of the plot. Oh, it sure does. Mm-hmm. Um, published by Grosset and Dunlap. However, my copy that I'm working off of, because, you know, of course, these books have been printed and edited and reissued in multiple different formats over the years. Um, my copy I'm, I'm working off of was printed in 1989. So I thought it would be interesting, Karen, to start off since, since we both read this book probably a couple of times when we were kids, 
to hear, did you, did you remember anything about this book before you started reading it? You know, I didn't. And I had to ask myself some hard questions about why that might be. <laughs> and I think it's because in the words of ABC's The Bachelor, I don't mm-hmm. think I was here for the right reasons. Um, I think <laughs> my hypothesis is that I was reading these books because I thought that they were what the older kids were reading and like you were reading them. And I thought it would uh. be cool. And I don't think I was in it so much for the sleuthing as I was the street cred of reading Nancy Understand. Drew. So no totally recollection. No recollection whatsoever of the plot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if you will remember this or not, but one of our aunts gave me na- these Nancy Drew books, the ones I'm rereading right now. She gave me like three or four of them every year for my birthday for oh. years. And I think I was probably, I mean, to be fair, I am a well-known scaredy cat. So like, you know, that True. could definitely have played in. Mm-hmm. But I know that I started trying to read them as soon as I got them the first time for my birthday, and it scared the hell out of me. Like, really? actually scared me. Which now, looking back, I don't understand why. They, but they're not, I, like, they're, they're not, they're not it's books. not scary. <laughs> right. Um, I, and, and I think I bailed pretty quick, too. It's not like I even got to, like, you know, her running up against the robbers or anything. I mean, like, I think I bailed real early. So yeah, I was trying to think too, like, if I remembered anything, and I, I, I didn't remember anything about it, except there was something hidden in the clock, which, duh. Like, I mean, uh-huh. I don't know if I remembered that, or if I just looked at the book cover and was like, I bet there's something in that clock. I, I have some strong feelings about that that mm-hmm. I will share later. <laughs> Perfect. I did remember once I started reading, I was like, oh, right, this whole thing is about a missing will. But I didn't remember that just like looking at the cover. So but I, my, my biggest memory is just being absolutely freaked out and having to like, put this book in the freezer, like Joey and the Shining for a long time. <laughs> I'm so. so sorry that happened to you. I had no idea. Thank you. I appreciate the sympathy. Well, some of our readers had some thoughts about what this book might be about. I think based on the content we received, it was much less about memories and more, as we asked, guesses from the book cover. Um, so I have, I chose three winners. I broke the rules, but- Already. Um, Episode number two, Karen. Already yep. deviating. I Hashtag not a rule follower. <laughs> so first up, as we teased in the last episode, we had to we had to read Megan's first submission, which is a teenage girl with too much time to fix her hair every morning goes dumpster diving and finds the perfect place to hide her <laughs> contraband. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Parts of that are absolutely correct. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, some of that is very on the nose. Yeah. And then, well done, so Megan. Ginger got pretty close with her guess. She said, and this is very poetic and beautiful, Nancy was never close to her grandmother, and yet... Grandma Drew has left Nancy a mysterious clock in her will with a cryptic note, the answer lies at one. That was pretty good. She nailed it with the will. So She did. Excellent work, Ginger. And are the hands on the clock in the cover one o'clock? Do you remember how to read time? I mean, it's it's coming up on, it's coming up on maybe two o'clock. It looks like it's coming up on two. It's around one four. Oh my goodness. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That took me, that took me too long. (laughs) And then, uh, last but not least, I loved Jennifer's submission. Chronically late young girl decides to adjust the clocks instead of adjusting her lifestyle. (laughs) 
that one I chose because <laughs> that feels like relatable content for <laughs> myself. Content. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. So maybe you read the book. Maybe you didn't. Not to worry, no one's going to call you out. And in fact, we're going to help you out. We are going to provide you with a super fast plot overview. Think of this as your cliff notes. Uh, we just want to make sure we're on the same page for the rest of our discussion of this very important work of literature. So I'm going to hand it over to Kelly for a super fast plot overview. Josiah Crowley has died. His immense estate has been left in its entirety to the richest family in town, the Tophams. However, many believe that Josiah may have written a later will in which he leaves portions of his estate to various friends and family members who helped him in his later years. While rescuing a small child from a fall, Nancy Drew is pulled into the mystery of the missing will. To get to the bottom of this mystery, Nancy begins her very first sleuthy investigation. Interviews with potential inheritors and friends of Josiah, including the Matthews brothers, the Turner sisters, the Hoover sisters, and Abby Rowan, eventually point Nancy in a promising direction, in search of Josiah Crowley's antique mantle clock festooned with a crescent moon. She follows this lead to the Topham's bungalow on Moon Lake, which she promptly breaks into, only to surprise three burglars who lock her in a closet to starve. After her daring escape, Nancy tracks down the burglars and finds the missing clock amongst the stolen loot. She steals back the clock, breaks it open, and in it, finds a notebook which leads her to a safety deposit box. In this box, Nancy finds the true final will of Josiah Crowley. Josiah did write a new will, but he hid it so well that only an intrepid amateur sleuth such as Nancy could discover it and ensure his estate went to the right people. The burglars are arrested, and thank goodness, the stolen candlesticks that started the whole mystery are returned to their rightful owners. Kelly, I know we read this yes, independently Karen. of each other. We did. We took our notes in our handy-dandy notebooks, came mm -hmm. up with our major themes, and I, I think our our hot topics were fairly well aligned for this They book. were. I, I think we literally wrote down several of the exact same notes. <laughs> so, if I captured this correctly, the things we are going to talk through are, number one, how did Nancy go about solving this crime? Correct. Number two, why are there spoilers everywhere in this book? A great question. Number three, law enforcement? Fairly problematic in River, River Heights. Yes, law enforcement question mark? Mm-hmm. Number four, the Great Depression, the unspoken character of this novel. Yeah, I cannot wait to get into that with you. And then last but not least, like, who is Nancy Drew? What what do we learn about her in this yep. first this first edition? Fantastic. So I'm going to kick us off with topic number one, which is solving the crime. And, you know, for, for our, um, for, for our faux crime podcast, you know, how, how did the crime get solved seems fairly important. So, um, I thought we should probably start with that first. So, you know, this, this was fairly interesting the way that Nancy even got pulled into this crime to begin with. But I think very rapidly we find out that, her investigative style is uh, somewhat uh, luck-driven, I would say. Would you agree with that? <laughs> that is the perfect way to describe that, yes. <laughs> luck-driven hyphenated, I think. So, you know, the, the other thing that, that's kind of funny about about her is that she, she really quickly gets involved with this mystery. And 
people are just like dumping their buckets to Nancy Drew. Like they yes. have no idea who this girl is and they're telling her everything. I she walked away from this with like social security numbers, passwords, like <laughs> exactly. insane. Exactly. So, yeah, she didn't even have to ask super probative questions or anything. She just kind of like walked into a room and people gave her information. So, uh that was probably pretty handy. Also, the attorneys in this town, I mean, has anyone never needle-pointed loose lips sink ships for them? <laughs> I mean, like, Carson Drew needs to have that on a throw pillow in his office. The attorneys in this book, I was like, all of you seem like you should be fired. <laughs> I agree. I'm like, is this, is like 1930 before there was any kind of confidentiality with attorneys in general? I, Must I have don't been. know. Must, Must have been. Maybe that's it. It was a different time. Yeah, so it's, you know, she she gets a lot of kind of information just by being told it voluntarily. Um, but then there's also a shocking number of eavesdropping opportunities. Oh, you're right. Am I am I right that on at least two occasions she's able to eavesdrop on, like, the criminals of this book? She the, is. The two the, sisters? The Topham sisters, yes. There's a... Right. An incident on like a park bench where they are just loudly discussing the crimes that their family may or may not have committed, and she right. happens to be strolling by. And then I, there's I, also, I, I mean, she like those girls literally use the word clutches in describing what their family has done to this elderly man. Like, <laughs> has anyone in the history of the world ever used the word clutches in a sentence and not been like stroking a white cat somewhere? I, d I don't think so. I don't. And no cat is ever described, but they for sure have one. Um, I, I think you're right. She also goes to buy a dress and the top of sisters are harassing a saleswoman, shredding the clothing in the store while loudly discussing the crimes their family may or may not have committed. Mm -hmm. And she picks up a few tidbits from that, too. Yeah. Again, fairly coincidental. Uh, these... If I did not know better, I would say that the two Topham sisters were literally derived from Disney's Cinderella's C Cinderella stepsisters. Oh, a hundred percent. Seems to be a lot of crossover. Like that's all I could picture in like the dress ripping scene. Very much so. They are the the ugly stepsisters for sure. Nancy doesn't seem to have a whole lot of problem with like full on B and E's. What's a B and E? Breaking and entering. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Yep, that happens multiple times. <laughs> multiple times. I, I'm like, I don't. Did they just? Did they not lock doors then? And so she didn't think it was a big deal. Or I'm fully anticipating that by the time we get, like, I don't know, to Lilac in, she's just like full on throwing elbows through windows and reaching through to unlock doors. I mean, girlfriend is not afraid of a slight felony, apparently. It makes sense that that would be the direction this is going, because this is book one, and I had several iffy moments with her strategy. I, you know, my, my, my biggest questions in kind of like the, the mystery solving of this book are that whether intentional or not, there, there were like a lot of red herrings, but they felt unintentional to me. So. Like what? <laughs> Like, the first one being these burglars that show up on page one nearly running down a four-year-old, and then keep showing up. I, 
they have nothing to do with the Toppins, the Will, none of it. Like they are just they are they are in their they are the stars of their own plot. They are not actually intersecting in any meaningful way with the Toppums or Josiah Crowley or Nancy Drew. They just happen to show up in two of the same places she does. That's a really good point. It begs the question, what else are they up to? Because we only know where they intersect with Nancy's story incredibly conveniently. Right. I just, I was really thinking that they were going to, and then somewhat aggravated when they weren't. I I really was wanting, like, the Toppums to have hired these fake movers to go steal all this furniture to try although that wouldn't make sense but but i wanted them to be intentionally trying to find the piece of antique furniture that the will was hidden in it would have it would have made for a much more logical plot and the other one not to spend too much time on this but like the other one is there were like an insane number of people all dying around Josiah Crowley. So like his wife had just died, then he dies three years later. And then both of the witnesses that sign his final will are both dead within like a month. So I, I just have to beg the question, is there a serial killer in River Heights? It would make more sense than what we learned. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who's like potentially pulling the strings behind these robbers. For sure. I'm just saying. Yes. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'd buy it. I'm just saying. Um, the, the last thing I'll bring up, and I assume this was intentional because I have to, but the the very pointed fact that there is a crescent moon on Josiah Crowley's clock, and then like three pages later, we find out that the clock's at Moon Lake. I mean- Obviously, that was intentional, but I mean, I don't think I probably picked up on that when I was a little kid reading this book. Do you? I certainly didn't. I did pick up on it this time. I wrote it in the spine of the book and said, oh, a moon. I bet it's at Moon Lake, where she was just conveniently (laughs) invited on a camping trip. I know, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Thank goodness for good old Helen and her aunt who runs a camp just (laughs) two blocks down from where the- the (laughs) mystery clock is being kept you are so right there is so much convenience in how this unfurls Mm -hmm. so i mean but but that was pretty much like this concludes the mystery solving right like nancy interviews some people she tracks some clues she finds the will the real mystery is like the unspoken questions that the serial killer on the loose the burglars that are being run by somebody clearly there's organized crime in River Heights. (laughs) Well, speaking of where this is all going and, uh, you know, our spoilers that we're planning for the rest of the series, hopefully Mm -hmm. this book structure has the weirdest literary flex I have ever encountered. Say more words. The title of the book is the solution to the mystery. The book is called The Secret of the Old Clock, and the solution to everything is to f- is to find this thing <laughs> hidden in an old clock. Like, name the book The Mystery of the Missing Will, because then <laughs> I still don't know what's going to happen. It's You're literally totally right. so the picture on the cover, even if even if it was one or the other. Maybe the the title is something different. We still have a very 
illustrative image on the front of the book of Nancy with the clock, I'd still, you know, I can suspend my disbelief a little bit, but like this whole, the table of contents, the chapter names, (laughs) you could could just read the names of the chapters and know exactly what's going to happen. Like I I have Jillian Flynn would have, can you imagine if that's how Gone Girl went down? I, this, it's so bizarre to me. I, I honestly hadn't kind of considered that. My, the one, the one that immediately struck me aside from the table of contents when I was like, oh, I guess there's a happy ending. Um, because the final chapter is like called like a happy ending. The happy ending. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, but on the left page opposite the table of contents, there's an illustration, which I had completely forgotten there were illustrations in these books, if I'm being same. completely honest. Full same. There, there's one, the, it's the very first page of the book, and it shows Nancy finding the clock in the back of the moving van. Yes, it does. So I, I just, I that was the one that stuck out to me, was, okay, like, I haven't even read the first page yet, and I already know... The, where she's going to find this this clock. Yep. yep. So, like, that's so. that's all I'll say on that note. My main takeaway from this book was they did not bury the lead at all. So, you know, in hunting down this clock, um, it's Nancy It was brought into contact with these robbers on several occasions, which, you know, for better or worse than puts her in the direct line of fire with law enforcement in 1930s River Heights. And all of these interactions were either very, uh, like, this was our taste of misogyny in these books, for sure. Um, I think, didn't you write down a quote from one of them? I did. I I did. I was expecting there to be a lot more overt misogyny in these books than there is. Uh, There's Mm -hmm. a lot, to be sure, but... The moment when I said, oh, there it is. That's that's what I was expecting. Found uh, it. The police officer says to Nancy's sweet angelic face, well, Nancy, not many girls would have used their wits the way you did. Think, what is that? What is that? We yeah, did- I mean, it's not great. It's it's not. Uh, so well, and, the, and then and then immediately after, doesn't he like commandeer her vehicle? She's like, "Hey, buddy, I'll give you a lift back to the station," and he's like, "Sure, slide over, Tuts. I'll drive." Uh, yes, yes, that is correct. They, uh, their whole ability to do their job in general was very troubling to me. Um, they didn't seem super invested in solving these crimes. No, they when they get to the state line. On their high speed chase, the cops are like, "Well, gotta turn back." Hit this the is state as far line. as I go. Yeah. yeah, and then they just send her on her way and say, "I'm pretty sure they say something to the effect of check in with us tomorrow and let us know how it goes." Like, what are you talking yeah. about? I mean, basically, in two separate occasions, they all but like deputize her and send her off down the other fork in the road. To see what's down there, if the robbers have gone down that way, like so on true. two separate occasions. So I, I'm, I'm like, this is not what I would expect from any police force, but certainly not in 1930 in River Heights. Like, if the if if they're so like impressed by little female Nancy and her ingenuity and all of this, like, why would they be, why would they be like, you take, you go down the dark alley and see if they're down there, you know? Completely agreed. 
they would on. be trying to rein it in and die. I could not agree more. But I, I will say the, which is kind of not like law enforcement directly related, but just in terms of um, like avoiding being the uh, victim of a crime. I, were you not continuously going like, just pull out your cell phone, man? Ugh. Like I had to keep reminding myself that not only does nobody have a cell phone, there aren't even like phones are not ubiquitous. They're not. And I, I I think I realized that when I was growing increasingly concerned for how much money she was spending on gas, driving back and forth between like 50 oh different gosh, people's right? houses to provide an update. <laughs> like, oh, I better go update Abby down there. It's 50 miles away. I'm like, she must have a huge credit card bill. I, this this was one of my true like life safety takeaways from Nancy. Okay. Tell somebody where you're going. Oh my god, like, yes. Karen, when she checks out of that summer camp and is like, goodbye, I, I'm leaving, I'm going home, nobody wait to hear from me, and if dad asks, I won't be back for five days. Like, she literally took herself off of the grid. Yes. And then went and broke into the Topham's bungalow. Uh, it yes, it's like that terrible movie. Well, it's a good movie, but where the guy goes rock climbing by himself and he gets like stuck oh, behind oh. a boulder. I'm like, Nancy, oh. always leave a note. Always leave a, leave note. a note. Tell somebody where you're going every time. Just check in. And but in her defense, she did realize that. So I'm hoping we see better life choices from Nancy in subsequent books. You make a good point. She she did have a moment of self-awareness when she thought mm-hmm. she was going to starve to death in the closet, so. Yeah, she went to a real dark place really fast, though. She did. She was in the closet for maybe 15 seconds and. Yeah, she was, like, seeing her life flash before her eyes and, like, picturing a chicken sandwich and how she'd never have one again. And It's true. Yeah. Uh, well, that actually transitions into my next topic speaking of chicken sandwiches speaking of never having one again (laughs) i had an epiphany in the night that seems fairly obvious now in hindsight but you know one of the things that was really leaping out to me was the this huge disparity of wealth in river heights so we have some people who are apparently doing incredibly well like the topoms kind of the Josiah. Josiah. Josiah is doing really well, like these people who are living large. And then there is this group of people that Nancy encounters who are like, the the walls are falling down around them. They have no furniture. Um, there's the woman, right. Abby, who doesn't have a can of soup in her house. She's like wasting away. Um, yes. So it's like- it's very, very tragic. Yes. So like, it kind of felt like you're either- Elon Musk, or you're, like, at the the end of the line. So, like, that was really, you know, interesting to me. And then I realized in the night, oh, yes, the Great Depression. So this book was written in 1930, I think you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Great Depression began in October of 1929. And I'm like, oh, oh my oh, God. Oh, this explains quite a bit. It also explains i've karen i've never made that connection before and it's i mean in my defense it's probably because i've never looked at the copyright on these books and they never say what year it is they never do and they never talk about the political landscape like it's never addressed we are Uh just seeing that some people are loaded and some people are like i'm truly starving to death 
Right. Um, and it also, when I put this together, explained to me what was going on with the Toppums. So they mention a couple of times that Mr. Topham is always lost in the newspaper and that he mm-hmm. is always looking at the stocks in the newspaper. Oh, right. And, <laughs> like, so, yeah, adds up. Like, I'm sure he is looking at the stock market, uh, 1930. And at right. the end of the book, the fate of the Toppums, because they have not gotten this money, is, like, they're done. They're impoverished, right. And that is because we learn that Mr. Topham had made some poor investments in the stock market, which in my mind, I was like, yeah, you shouldn't have bought so much. Any investment in the stock market in 1930. (laughs) Right. I was like, oh, okay, I guess he shouldn't have gotten the, you know, GameStop stock from a Reddit tip or something. But like, no, it was literally the Great Depression. And uh, he he was one of the people who like lost everything. So that like context actually made the book a lot more interesting to me. Um, and it made me very curious to see how this shows up in the future books because, you yeah. know, obviously we're right now right at the very beginning of the Great Depression. Um, and so I'm, int- I'm intrigued to see how this, this will play, play out in the rest of Nancy's yeah. engagements. So I actually did the conversion to see what Josiah Crowley's $100,000 estate in 1930 would be valued in 2021. Oh my god. Of course you did. I love this. I love it. How much? Uh a li- almost 1.6 million dollars. Interesting. So mm-hmm, it's like 1 1,575,000 essentially rounded up. So each person basically he gave about he gave $10,000 to which is about $160,000 in today's it. terms. So, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that could make a huge, huge, huge impact. Um, But it, you know, it just, it brings up all of these other interesting things once you put it in the context of the Great Depression and the stock market crash and all of that, that I had literally never even thought of before. And I mean, on the one hand, it seems like even colder that the Tophams are like making this grab for this entire inheritance when, you know, they know that all of these people are already in such bad shape, but things are certainly not going to get any better. Um, oh my gosh. But you then know, it's, uh, I just yeah. had an epiphany. Same, same. Tell me. I wonder if this is why so many of the, the people who are doing okay have maids. That was like very odd to me. And I wonder if it's almost like these live in maids, like Hannah Gruen with the Drews. It's like, sure i'll cook for you and clean for you like i need a food and a, a roof over right my head. i need a bed yeah could i mean it could be i don't know hmm. but i mean that would make sense um yeah i did i thought that was interesting too like i i know that we learn like in later books that nancy's mother has died and so i always just kind of assumed that hannah was there because you know they needed somebody at the house to like take care of the house since yeah you know nancy is off doing whatever she does and carson works so but it you're right that there could be something like, there everybody seems to have live in help if they're not like living like the hoovers do totally scraping together every cent so it it's it it did it doesn't seem like there's like a strong middle class let me put it that way no not at all not at all it's like you're either yeah. in the berries or Lord help you. 
the the other person living in this town that I think is hilarious is the Italian opera teacher. He's my favorite like, character. What, what a random thing. He was my. I want like a spinoff series just about what's his name. It's like Signor Mascarini or I something. Would, Karen, I would literally never try to pronounce that name. <laughs> you cannot <laughs> trick me into doing that. <laughs> Foiled again. I I would read a Foiled whole series again. of books about this Ita- famous Italian opera singer and why he lives there and teaches. Why well, mm-hmm. I, I have so many Me questions. Too. It's intriguing. Maybe he's the one who's running the burglars uh, or the serial killer. <laughs> maybe <gasps> maybe he's a serial killer. I mean, who knows? We could. I feel like there's a whole spinoff series coming just with the side characters in this book. But um, also, Karen, while we're talking about the haves and the have-nots. I do think that we need to talk about the great dividing question of all time. Bungalows, are they fancy or not fancy? I mean, if you just want me to go out and say it, I was right. You, Yes, you were right. The bungalow is clearly fancy. The Tophams have one. It's a home away from home at Moon Lake. I was picking up the context clues and was like, oh, man, I was totally wrong on this one. Thank you. Although in in my defense and correct, like, again, I have not looked this up. I'm going to wait until the actual bungalow mystery. But I I think that a bungalow is more like an architectural style, perchance. I agree. And like, maybe not like a demarcation on the fanciness level like i think you could have a fancy bungalow or you could have a bungalow in a state of disrepair yeah like my like my the cat house like you could have a really nice cat house or you could have i'm with you i think it's about a cat house the the structure of the structure (laughs) of the domicile versus the amount of money (laughs) structure of the domicile (laughs) yes i think you're correct well thank you for letting me have my my moment in the sun you're welcome (laughs) Go, go put that in your diary. Dear it's diary. Like, what, the third time in our lives I've admitted that? Today I was right. Continue the tally. <laughs> so to kind of wrap this up, we just wanted to talk a little bit about Nancy, because she's obviously the, the star of the show around the here. Um, the heroine. Just to kind of kick it off, like her relationships, her, her primary two relationships in this book are with her dad, who is referred to as Mr. Drew the entire book. Mr. Drew, very formal. Mr. Mr. Drew. Well, and same I, with, I was laughing so hard. Same with the housekeeper, too. She calls her Hannah Gruen. I know, right? The entire book, Hannah Gruen, first name, last name. World's most formal family. Very formal. Like, I'm. hey, you know, that I. you treated people with respect back then, you know? I guess Use so. the appropriate, I guess. I guess. Um, but we do not yet, if you're a fan of the series, Karen- there's no Bess. No. There's no George. Nope. There's no Ned. Nope. I was I, I just, was really distressed by that. I'm like, where is the handsome boyfriend? Where is the best friend Bess? I yeah. I was expecting them to be there and they were not. Me too. I kept thinking that Ned was gonna pop up with this like there was the the whole reason Nancy goes to get the dress and then she eavesdrops on the sisters who are ripping up the dress is she's going to buy a new party frock for I a thought, dance at the country club. I thought that too. And I just yeah, I just thought Ned was going to, like, pop out of the woodwork with the dance, but the dance is never mentioned again. I, so. I totally thought that as well. I mean, maybe <laughs> as they were writing this, like, there are already 600 characters in this book, so <laughs> we're going to have to wait on the best friend and the boyfriend. <laughs> 
600 characters who are all siblings. All related. Yes. <laughs> my my big question is, like, why does everybody trust Nancy Drew? I mean, and my favorite part was in the very first scene of this book when she watches this tiny little child named Judy who, I'm sorry, I cannot get on board with a time and place in which there are babies named Judy. Baby Judy. That just doesn't work for me. Yeah. Um, but baby Judy is like, number one, definitely not being closely attended to by these great aunts of hers nearly run over by a moving truck that is steered as we learn later by burglars and then falls off a bridge (laughs) all like as nancy rounds the bend this is like this is all like page one of the book for those of you that didn't read along all that happens in mere paragraphs (laughs) lots of but so so all of this happens she in like rescuing this child who has fallen off this bridge and taking her back into her great aunts, she like develops this medical degree all of oh, a sudden. Oh, you're so right. Did you notice yes. that? Yes. She is providing immediate advice on whether or not limbs are broken. Um, she, right. Yes. She seems to have medical acumen. She's fine. She's fine. Just like put some ice on her head. I mean, this child is like passed out cold, unconscious. For minutes at a time. Yes. It yeah. I questionable advice. The other thing like that is that apparently and I wrote down this quote, Nancy has quote unquote frequently handled motorboats. Like she gets stuck <laughs> in a broken boat. <laughs> I wrote down that same if quote. If I got stuck I in a broken motorboat, I'd be like, well, I guess I better start swimming. No, she spends hours. I would be like, oh, well, I, I live in this boat now. This is this my is house. It. But she spends hours like actively trying to repair mm-hmm. the motor because she has frequently handled motorboats. So lots of- And she fixes it. Lots of questions. I mean, in her defense, she does fix she it. Does. And yes, I mean, so between her like mechanics license and her medical degree at 18 18- I, I'm like, who is this she's, girl, Nancy? Also, you know, she's she's sleuthing around and solves this mystery that nobody else in like the greater tri-state River Heights area has been able to solve. So, um, I mean, Nancy's kind of kind of got a good thing going for 18 years old. But it's one of the reasons why I always loved this book was because Nancy, as a young woman, number one, she totally took care of herself, mm-hmm. and nobody was questioning that. No. You know, like, nobody was questioning, like, should you be going out alone in that boat, Nancy? Like, maybe you better take a buddy or to grab a life jacket or something. I mean, her dad wasn't at all worried about her driving up to this camp for a week with, you know, she could have gone off the road anywhere between here and there. Nobody would have ever known The police aren't worried. (laughs) No, police aren't worried. Everybody's just, like, telling her all of their financial banking information with, you know, no no idea if she's trustworthy or not. She's got attorneys meeting her for lunches, just telling her all about their private confidential information with their clients. I mean, so Nancy is like a trusted person. She's very empowered. She does not she does not wait for permission. Hashtag breaking mm-hmm. and entering, but that's another story. I agree. <laughs> I think that that as attuned as I was to find the misogynistic undertones of this book, I understand why this was so exciting to people at the time and to women and young girls to read these books i i would i would love to know i know i have a couple of friends who hopefully are listening to this that have 
have have young daughters that you know might be potentially reading these books now for the first time and i'm like do these come with a warning like here enjoy this book don't do any of the things that she does ever true these these stunts are dangerous and could result in your death (laughs) yeah i mean i'm sure nancy's probably good with animals and kids too so she's she's a little bit of a goody two-shoes but at the end of the day i mean like I think she's a nice person. I do too. I think I'm on team Nancy. I I am solidly on team Nancy after book one. Like she's she's a little bit saccharine at points and, you know, like a little bit like, well, you know, gro- gross Nancy, you know, do you have like any, you know, any little bit of a double streak in you at all? But I think it's it's funny. I think especially after like a year of quarantine and COVID and all this stuff, it's the idea of going to your girlfriend's house and being invited in for like a three hour long impromptu birthday party and just like hanging out and chit chatting sounds like really lovely. It you sure know? does. It sure does. My my big question, and this is my last question about Nancy in this book, and maybe it will be resolved in future books, is like, why did what is she doing? Like she's clearly graduated from high school. Is she on like summer break before she goes to college is she getting a job is her full-time job working for her dad like i don't know what's the hat i man? don't what's the I plan don't know and apparently the sleuthing i mean it's not paying the bill so far because all she got for several days of driving <laughs> all over hell and creation and several hundred dollars worth of gas to do so she mm-hmm. well and just about ruining her convertible can we talk about that for one that second that car like, is just about ruins her destroyed it like i truly believe she needs a subaru cross track like and all she gets is mm-hmm. the thoughtful but uh slightly questionable gift of the old clock so it's not the slow thing is not yeah. lucrative so far so I don't know what the end no, goal I mean, is here. She she doesn't she even say like this clock is kind of ugly. She does. But she doesn't like it, but she appreciates <laughs> the emotional significance of it. This brings us to the conclusion of our episode, Karen. So this week we are both going to be rating Nancy Drew and the Secret of the Old Clock out of a possible twelve antique clocks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to rate this book a solid six out of twelve antique clocks right down the middle i thought it was yeah i you know it was entertaining i think there was certainly a nostalgia factor there which may have boosted my rating a little bit they they lost clocks for me because there were a lot of (laughs) untied up loose ends that's fair so yeah what's your rating so i think i originally gave it in my mind like a three out of 12 clocks however my epiphany about the great depression has added two clocks this some of the mm. some of the things that seemed ridiculous to me now make a lot more sense. I subtracted several clocks for the point I brought up earlier, which is the fact that I knew the answer to the mystery when I read the title of the book. So hoping that's not a trend. <laughs> they didn't need to lose clocks. Thank for you. That. So uh what are we reading next? Next we are reading the second Nancy Drew book. It is called Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase, and I can't wait because i love a hidden room i'm so excited i'm gonna start it tonight i'm gonna start it tonight as well i love a hidden room i love the idea of like there's something there's a room or a staircase or something behind a wall that you don't know about although if you know if you found out that there was one in your house that would be the creepiest it'd thing be ever. the best it would i would be so here for a hidden room Ugh. 
I think. There there have been some things like in the last couple of years I've seen about people finding um hidden rooms and stuff like behind, you know, shoddily constructed walls in their basements and whatever that they're pretty sure people had been living in recently. Ooh, like the movie Parasite. Okay, yeah, that is creepy, you're right. Yeah, ew, dislike. So, as we did with the first book, uh please play along with us. We are going to post the book cover on Instagram. Uh, text us, email us, reply on Instagram, uh, get in touch with us, and submit to us what you think this book is about based sheerly on the book cover, and we will read our favorite two or three, however much we decide to break the rules, in the next episode. If you are enjoying what you're hearing and think you might want to keep playing along with us, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you'd please help us spread the word, that would be amazing. Indeed. Find us on social media at It's a Clue Podcast, and we are on the World Wide Web at It's a Clue.com. Oh, the World Wide Web. So, to conclude for today, we just want to remind you what we all learned from The Secret of the Old Clock and Nancy's Travails. If you don't want to get locked in a closet while you are sleuthing alone, always tell someone where you're going. L- leave a note. Just like, just tell someone, for the love of God, tell anyone. It's just solid life advice. Indeed. Yes. Leave breadcrumbs. And with that, happy sleuthing! It's a Clue is hosted by Kelly Biscopink and Karen Farmer. Our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. The It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W., you can find her on Facebook at Danny W. Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend Mark Goodlow.